Welcome Home Radio Podcast. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Our team is here with answers to guide you through the buying and selling process. We encourage you to ask questions. Please comment on this show or visit us at welcomehomeradio.net for more information. Bringing real estate, lending, and education together in one place and to help you make the right home decision for you and your family. Here are your hosts, Blair Thomas, Tom Holm, Alan Pace, and Jeff Duffy. And welcome to Welcome Home Radio. It is October the 11th. We hope you're having a wonderful day here in North Texas. First, I have to say, go Rangers. You are playing well in the playoffs, and we hope to see a World Series competition here soon. That would be very nice. Guys, it's been a wonderful weekend, but we do also want to reach out and say a prayer and our hands and, and our heads are held low due to Israel and the new challenges that are going on over there, as well as the war. So many civilians, women and children are caught up in this. Uh, we need to make our prayers that they are safe and that this is short lived. But I have a feeling it's going to last a little longer. So our hearts go out to them. Today, we're going to be talking about the do's and don'ts of a real estate transaction. Some of those things, guys, it's just difficult to understand. Sometimes you have to do something, but in a short 30-day cycle or less, you're going to be closing on a home. What should you be doing? As well as a seller, you're selling your home. What should you not or should be doing in the process of that? Today, we're going to be talking about that. I want to welcome in my co-host. Well, good morning, Alan, Tom, Jeff. Hope y'all are doing well. Good morning. good morning, sir. Good morning. <laughs> oh, no. Are you not feeling well or are you just feeling Vader? I'm feeling fine, my friend. <laughs> Call me the Batman. <laughs> Soon his cave will go dark and he won't be around. So. <laughs> Hey guys, you know, one of the first purpose things I, I want to share an experience I had early in my career as a lender, and it was unfortunate, but I think it's been a learning curve for me was a very young family, self-employed, owned their own lawn, lawn care business, buying their first ever home, got them approved, got found the home, going through the process, and we're literally closing on Monday. And Monday morning, of course, Everyone needs to understand a lending company is going to double check your credit. They're going to do a soft pull. And unfortunately, we discovered that on Friday, they bought a brand new truck for their business. And this threw the debt to income ratios out. This threw the whole loan out. And while they were at the title company, unfortunately, the escrow officer and myself had to tell them we could no longer close on the home due to this fact things impact your ability to buy and you need to be aware of them and certain things during that transaction you don't need to do like major purchases so wanted to start us off with that story i'm sure you guys have ones that we can share as we go but with the first one we need to know our credit score and not do anything to change that credit score during this process would you all agree with that statement absolutely yeah Absolutely. I mean, it, it all starts with money. If you don't have money, then you have to borrow money. If you have to borrow money, there's rules about borrowing money. And um, one of them is if you 
can borrow money and the lender says you're pre-approved, you need to stay with that lifestyle. <laughs> the one that got you pre-approved until you actually get the keys to the house and you close and you are funded, you need to stay exactly how you were or better when you were pre-approved. And unfortunately, many people, well, not many, I would say a few um, mess it up. Some by accident, some not understanding. And, uh, you know, there might be reasons for others, but I think we all have stories. If you're a realtor, there's always that case. I mean, if you're a, uh, experienced realtor or an inexperienced realtor and you have a, a home buyer um, that's borrowing money uh, the first thing out of your mouth ought to be you know <laughs> don't go buy the new car right now don't go buy the furniture for the house and you know don't go to Paris stay home <laughs> be a good person a good family financially responsible get the keys to your house then go have a blast in your new house do whatever you want and I mean, I understand excitement, but again, basic gas and groceries during that month time is really not a bad, normal purchasing transactions should be maintained, but just don't go out and create new credit issues or new challenges that like, I know, I know nesting is a huge thing for the ladies. They want to get their home situated and that new refrigerator is on sale. We got to go get it. We got our new home to put it in double check if you're not if you don't have the cash to do or you don't have the credit please make sure you understand those situations before you go off into new furniture setup or anything that can all wait until you own the home outright and and when jeff gives you the keys to the, the kingdom then go go for it but until then please in a transaction locked in gas and groceries is the basics and that's it um, yeah, uh, nesting includes boats, cars, <laughs> lots of stuff, and it's guys contribute to that quite a bit, also. Oh yeah, well, you know, you, you you need that new gun safe for your new place. You need that new couch for your new place, and you think those are small items, but um, that it, it, it's 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 going to show up <laughs> one way or another. Financing things, especially putting things on credit shock a lot of people and right now again with the understanding of our country where we're at we're at a one trillion plus dollar credit card debt never been here before and potentially could be at two trillion by the end of december this year we are living on plastic we have a society that depends on credit and they pay minimums which is a terrible thing to be doing but we're so used to putting things on credit i believe we can get caught and I sit down with my clients and have that heart to heart chat saying, look, OK, now we're in a transaction. That clock is starting. Please. Nothing but groceries or gas. If you if you need to do something, please call me. Let's double check it. Let's see what it's going to affect the loan so that we understand that. And because I, I, I just hated that day watching that family leave in their brand new truck, but no place to park it. And boy, mama was not happy. Mama, uh, I, I felt very sorry for the husband. Yeah, but they had a new place to sleep. Go ahead, Tom. They had a new place to sleep. They could sleep in the back of the truck. Oh, Tom, they got, Tom. They got a bed in the truck. You know, Blair, talking about your credit card debt, it, you know, 
consider folks out there, if you're running your credit cards up in good economic times, that's one thing. And if you're carrying a big balance, it's another, you know, it is what it is. But when it, we go into these high inflationary times and your credit cards kind of maxed out already, and now everything costs eight, 10, 20% more. And sometimes some of these prices have doubled over the last 18 months. So um, you're really in trouble and you're setting your um, home buying goals back even further um, for those of you that have a home buying goal. Very good point. And, you know, during the transaction, you're you're so excited about buying the home, getting the home. And a lot of people get emotionally uh, connected with that. That's great. But then it becomes a transaction that we want to monitor your security. I think the next thing you need to be aware of, even in the preparatory process where getting approved with a lender is security of your information or documentation. I tell people over and over, please use our portal. It's secure. And I still get documents emailed to me. And these are taxes, tax documents, W-2s, pay stubs. These are items that are secure in email and fax is not as secure as our portal. Uh, you may not think of it that way, but again, the security of your information is critical to us as well as should be to you. So please monitor how you send communication documents, how you monitor what information you're sharing, because it is important. Uh, that data can be stolen, put on the dark web, and of course be used, sold over and over and over and cause a lot of problems for you and your family. Um, Jeff, share with us real quick in title. Uh, it is so important that title has escrow set up properly and all that, but transactions a lot of times are taken where you've seen millions of dollars transaction in a, you know, in the wrong way. And talk to us about that, please. Well, I just typically the cautiousness comes through again, just going out and any purchase or extending any additional credit. And if you're referring to, you've got sometimes with the commercial deals when you're talking about millions of dollars and what's uh, you, you know, they're they're buying the equipment, they're buying everything with a commercial building sometimes. So when you're, if you're not paying attention, the same scenario happens in that case. Uh, if they've gone out and stretched themselves too far. Um, I've had people come to the table. The reason I mentioned the couch and they went and bought some furniture the morning of just couldn't slow their excitement down. And the same thing happens before closing. Now, I think there's been one case where at least sometimes with vehicles, People could, you get to drive it for a couple of days and take it back. But what does that do on their credit? Blair, if they bought it, they go right back and return it. What's the repair time? This is the one, one thing I was kind of wondering. So they they, 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 they they have to declare if they have a transaction, that transaction, that hard pull will be notified. But did they create debt or not has to be asked and answered before moving forward. So they could answer no, no new credit was created. That's fine. But normally in a short time frame like that, it won't hit as quickly. But we had to ask, did you buy a new car? We saw this pull and that created a whole thing. And, and being honest about that, unfortunate, you know, I would hate for anybody to feel like they can lie about their finances, but you're going to be asked. 
Um, well, I think that segues into another part of this. When folks, you know, when a lender asks you for your financial information, give it to them, all of it. Don't hide this or hide that or we didn't think he needed that or she needed that. Um, you know, I see that over the years and I, it, you know, the lender will call, I thought you said they were blah, blah, blah. And I've called a client and you have to give them everything, not just what you care to share. And I'm sure Blair's run into it. And it is, um, it's just, it, it just give it your best effort. You know, the lender can help you no matter what your situation is. You'll either be able to buy or you'll get on the road to be able to buy it, but you got to share everything. Yes, that's that does transition. And Tom will be able to talk to us a little bit about Phila, but truth in lending. Uh, had an experience with a veteran, a family, a spouse. She wanted to claim that she'd been employed for two years. And so she didn't think anything of it. It was a young couple. She was embarrassed. But she put that down two years and ultimately it was found out, no, uh, she was not employed for six months at this during this time. We were still able to do the loan without her. Tom, take over, buddy. Without her I don't know what the end of the story is. Without her He's talking about truth and lending. I know, but what? <laughs> without her what? Without her what? We Tell me some, more. We need some background, some of your, your suspense noise, Tom. <laughs> Am I back? Are y'all seeing me now? Oh, we never We're lost. Oh, hi, Brad. Welcome to the show. <laughs> so <laughs> you were able to get the deal done without her. Without her income. I have never it seen Batman do that once. I'm Tom. sorry. Uh, that's security. Security software coming on but uh but we were able to do it but she was embarrassed because she didn't want to show that she did, had not been employed for that time period but it's still going to be found out as we do our research and you need to be aware truth and lending on the uh, on the borrower side you need to tell us everything it, we're not judging it good bad or indifferent but we are going to impact how it's going to impact the loan how it's going to impact your financing of this home all of those questions and Thank goodness we were able to do the, the VA loan for them without her income. But this comes down to simple things like whether you're embarrassed or not, it should not matter. That lender you should trust to know what he's he or she's there to do the best for you. She's working on your behalf or he's working on your behalf. So Tilla holds us accountable, Tom, doesn't it? I mean, we have truth and lending from the signed LE all the way through the CD and we're held accountable percentages wise, everything to that. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, and this goes back, I, I, I think, <laughs> I think what we're talking about with this process and all the things we're mentioning is people shouldn't be looking at houses until they're fully pre-approved. And, and that, that, that's the big conversation we're having this morning is developing it you know, expectations as far as what some people should buy and setting expectations that may be otherwise less than what they may want to be getting. And this is a big deal in our, in our real estate world. You know, the first house I bought, I remember that. We wait, were, wait, wait, time out. The first cave you bought? Yeah, well, the, I, I was going to say TP was actually, make it sound a little bit later, but it was cave, yes. 
the and the first cave that my wife and I, when we purchased, we was moderate was, you know, less than what we wanted as far as the final house, but it was a great, uh, I think we stopped using the term starter house any longer. Uh, we want to buy a full blown, this is my luxury dream house from the very first get go. And so setting expectations in this process, I think is because people get on the internet, they look through houses, they see all these new home ads and they go, Oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. And that's not the way the world operates, but the expectation when we set it should be a reasonable expectation as far as affordability more so than anything else. Because when we come back to truth and lending, I want to be telling somebody truthfully about what they can afford, not what they ideally can be house poor with. I think that's so, so true. Setting expectations and, and helping the realtors understand here is their limit. Here is where they can or cannot do. So don't go show them a hundred thousand dollars more than I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. Alan. Alan. I have to tell people to, you know, one thing people forget to do sometimes is tell your client just because you're pre-approved for that amount don't mean you got to spend it all. In fact, you'd be smart not to financially sometimes. So, you know, those lenders to get a deal, they'll, hey, you're approved for 600000 and we're up. <laughs> yeah. When my, I, when my wife and I got our first approval, I was like, they would really loan us that much money. I was like, <laughs> did they look at how much I got paid? <laughs> so yes, you're absolutely right though. Yeah. And if we go 40 too. years and we can do this, we'll add on another 50,000 to buy. And I was, I was earlier when you went to truth and lending is very important, obviously, but I was kind of getting in before that. There's people that don't share all their financial information. For some reason or another, they feel like it's not their business or I don't need to share this. And you well, try to tell folks, I don't care about your personal life and your history and stuff. But if you want to get pre-approved, you need to tell the lender everything because they're probably going to find out anyway. So. That said, I wanted to go there. Telling the truth is, is a different part of it and you got to do it. But when you don't share, that's another part of this. And I've seen that over the years. I do want to ask this question, Tom. I just ran across this recently with a veteran. They purchased a TVLB land loan, but it's not reported on their credit. And we discovered this. He didn't share it with us. We discovered it during our time of, of research. And sure. we discovered he had an additional mortgage payment going out out of his you know, bank account statements. Why is it TVLBs able to decide not to report mortgages on credit? How is that possible? Well, it's not that they're deciding not to. It's just they don't want to pay for that. You've got to keep in mind things that are reported onto our credit cost the vendor to report them onto credit. So an additional cost to the program is an additional rate hike that would be passed on to the veteran. It's not required when you get lines of credit that they have to be reported to the credit bureaus. And that's an important aspect because we're supposed to truthfully ask everybody we, that applies for a loan, are these your debts? Are these the debts that are associated with you that you pay on a monthly basis that you're 
uh, financially obligated to repay. In other words, contractually obligated to repay. We're not asking you to report your, you know, your car insurance. We're not asking you to report your membership at the gym. We're not asking you to tell us what your your phone cost is, even though phones nowadays can run huge amounts every month. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So the things with you are required to report, we need to ask in our due diligence, and this is loan officer's fault. You know, I go back to a time where I had a doctor come in and we know doctors can afford whatever they want to buy, right? No matter what it is. Used to. So the doctor comes in and this was several, this is several years ago. And he comes in, he drives up in his Mercedes SUV. And at that time, I didn't know Mercedes had SUVs. But sure enough, that $1,000 a month payment shows up on his credit report. He's divorced. He's paying child support to a wife that lives in Arkansas. The only way he can go see his two kids is he never knows what his schedule is. So he has to jump on a plane and pay the highest fares at the very end of the uh, uh, time when he's going to run up to Arkansas instead of driving up there like most normal human beings would do uh, and fly up there and fly back on the most expensive ticket. Well, he drives up at the same time with his brand new wife, his younger model wife and their infant baby that's, uh, you know, still in swaddling clothes. So I know this guy is spending some money every month and I'm asked him at the end of the application after I've got everything and he's tight, tight, tight on his ratios. I said, are there any more debts, other debts besides what we've listed here that you owe on a reoccurring basis you're contractually obligated to pay? And he goes, well, I owe $1,000 a month to my partners in my practice. I borrowed 50,000 from them about six months ago and now I'm paying them $1,000 a month. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I put down that $1,000 and deal blows up. And the realtor that was doing this, this was out in um, uh, there in Rockwall. Uh, I had one of her offices and I came out and talked to her and said, you know, he doesn't qualify. And she said, that's not possible. He's a doctor. (laughs) And I said, yeah, it is possible. But anyway, I can't do the loan. Well, she found another lender to do the loan, and he he conveniently did not disclose that because he wasn't asked that on the next application. Guess who was foreclosed on in the next 30 months? Mm-hmm. And I still remember the price of that house. It was $333,000. And I remember thinking to myself, this doesn't, this sounds like an unlucky number for this guy. <laughs> Because sure enough, he was foreclosed on in about two years. It's so important to continue and maintain our character. We've got to ask those hard questions. We've got to be honest yeah. and, and be able to say no. And I think that's a, that's very hard, especially in this market today where people are shopping. People want to be able to get into a home. Homes are limited. Um, values are going up. I mean, 333 would not get you into a starter home in some neighborhoods now. So it's it's just amazing in this process. We have to be able to do the right thing with our finances, understand where we're at so that you understand what you can do. I've turned a lot of people to credit repair that do not have the credit scores to be able to buy a home, at least in a positive way. 
at least use the maximum or the best loan programs for. If they wait that six months, one, they're saving some money, but two, they're fixing their credit. It's a better interest rate for them and a better loan program. And all of a sudden they're able to buy if they're able to be patient. Longest clients I've ever worked with was two and a half years getting their taxes corrected because they were self-employed, owned, owned their own company. But they had to go through that process because those taxes from the two years prior were not filled out properly. They were inappropriate. And the CPA was no longer around. So it's a, it's a challenge, but we have to take our time and we have to document. Doing things just based on what somebody has anybody in here done something based on somebody, what they wrote up on, they didn't double check it. They didn't have documentation backing it up. I mean, if you believe what somebody puts down there as, as their monthly income and they put down annual income in the monthly packet, yeah, oh yeah, you could afford a home by all means, buy a $3 million home. And all of a sudden, no, that's my annual salary, not my monthly. And we have to double check things. Well, I think Tom gave great advice at the very beginning there with, you know, you got no business really showing anybody a home until they're pre-approved. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, home buying is very emotional. It's an emotional thing. And it you got to be fair with the sellers, too. Um, their understanding is when you come look at the home, you can afford the home you're looking at. So there's really a lot goes into this. You got to get pre-approved. If you don't have any money, you can't buy a house. It's that simple. And, and keep in mind doing there when, when someone's asking for documentation and information, please get that back as soon as possible. It, it eliminates surprises <laughs> or when we're at the closing date and either our seller still haven't filled out their seller information sheet or it's OK if you don't want to put your social or part of your social in email, call us direct. We do that quite frequently with people. But please, time is of the essence is written in the contract for, for a reason. So. So what are the do's and don'ts? Do's, I mean, let's save money. Let's let's not impact our assets, our bank accounts until this actually closes. Um, well, do's is utilize your diligence period, your option period. Mm -hmm. Do your research on the house that you're trying to buy. Um, it's your opportunity to get a uh, inspector in there to you know see what's going on with the home. When you look at the home with your agent or on your own, all you can see is what is in front of you, you know, and if you see some things that don't look right in, in a plain view of when you're looking at the home, can you imagine what's going on in the attic? I mean, if they're not fixing it when you're looking at the house at a showing, oh my God, the attic. So anyway, Get, get an inspector, do your diligence, and um, spend time with the inspector and your agent, or again, if you're on your own, at least with the inspector, and understand what you're buying. It's a big purchase, and once, you, once it's yours, it's your problem. Yep, very, very true. And one of the things that I think is, is should be point, pointed out here, not forgotten, don't change jobs in the middle of a transaction. <laughs> but why, Blair? I got a new opportunity. It's more money. Oh, totally, that one was totally over my head. Like, <laughs> who would have thought that? But yeah, it's happened. It happens. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I, I am getting more money. But yeah, you change from W two to ten ninety nine. 
We don't know how you're going to do your taxes. Guess what? Boom. W two. That might not be a good number. It might not. Ten ninety nine. How many truck drivers make three hundred twenty five thousand dollars, but they report twenty eight thousand on their taxes? Because they write off tires, they write off gas, they write off hotels, they write off everything possible. So, yeah, that that is. You know, the other thing, you might address it now with folks, because I'm sure they're they're thinking it if they're listening to this. Um, may, you've heard over time that you can change jobs if you're going to the same industry. Um, is that how that works? And and can you change a job? Say you've, you're through your option period and now you're getting into your closing time. What happens if week three of that transaction, that's your move? As long as you know about it going in, we're okay. Is that how that works? A lot of that does. But I'll let Tom answer that. I'm going to give a basics for it. If we're going W two W two to same industry and we know about it up front, we have an offer letter. We're generally going to require one pay stub minimum from that company plus a verification of employment, a VOE. If you're going from W two to 1099, you're going to have to wait at least 13 months before, and that means a full year of tax returns has to be developed, whether that's, you know, January, it's a January to December timeframe at minimum, we like two years. But if you're going from 1099 to W2, you can generally do it, but you need two months or two pay stubs from that company as well as an offer letter verification. Tom, what else would you add to a transition of a job? And being the same industry is very critical. We understand chasing dollars, but a nurse is going to work in the medical field, not in medical sales. Uh, you know, our a project manager can change industries from school district to construction as long as we can show that. And he has to have, you know, at least two pay stubs going into that new job as a W-2 employee, correct? Uh, you stated everything exactly as it is played, both with Fannie and Freddie and FHA and VA. The one thing I would mention, any of the times we require a VOE, that VOE cannot say that this is a conditional or temporary type of, uh, uh, what am I looking for? Provisional type of employment. In other words, they're not on a 30-day, 60-day, 90-day. Help me with the word here. What's wrong with me? I, yeah, now you got me. <laughs> Test period? Uh, yeah. Temporary employment? Yeah. There's a name for it, though. There is. I, I'm okay. Um, hopefully, I know. Thank you for freezing there. Very <laughs> appropriate for that timing. But uh, that's a, that's a big deal because sometimes it will say that this is uh, a provisional type of employment subject to a 90-day review. And if it says that in the employment contract, you can kiss it goodbye until your past 90 days. So, so that's always a question to be asked when very good point about verifications of employment being very done. conditional employment is is that's what a VOE answers that question and we should know it. But yes, transitioning jobs, you should never surprise your lender with, oh, I'm changing jobs suddenly. How does that impact us? You should know that in advance, being up front. Um, one of the things that Alan brought up is to understand the neighborhood. I think, 
I think one of the things besides getting approved, besides monitoring and, and utilizing credit properly, but really understand what you're buying into. Know the neighborhood, know the the equity growth over that neighborhood over X years. What's the impact for schools? Uh, all of these things are good information for you to be learning during that inspection and conditional time. Um, and there's ways to do that. You need to drive that property morning, noon, and night, that neighborhood. You need to, you know, if you see a neighbor putting out garbage, say hello, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, get an understanding best you can. It, a lot of people know the area based on their have friends there or whatever, and that's different. But if you're moving here from out of town, you certainly don't know. And um, there's there's ways to do that. But take the time to do it because, again, once it's yours, it's yours. And I think the most important thing that we may be missing by doing this and understanding that is the long term. I hate these people outside with these blowers. They're just I'm sorry. Uh, is that considering the home resale value is so important, especially if this is not your forever home, if this is a temporary or something, you're looking at the resale value of this property. You want to make sure it's a great investment. And if it's not, if it's in decline in a neighborhood where that you see some challenges or there's no HOA or there is an HOA, I mean, so many, so much information needs to be collected and you need to be doing your research during this process yeah, they might be building a new school or a new apartment complex or a office building close by that you you know these are things that, that are good to know if you can um the, the more information you have about where you're going to live your life the better before you buy the house absolutely do and and talk about that inspection real quick because we can discover a lot of things with that and I think that inspection is sometimes overlooked by realtors and buyers when that inspection can open up your eyes about what could be going on with this home foundationally, roof, AC, HVAC, all of that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all that you got a diligence period once you're under contract and you can, you know, you can have things like that checked out and you should know all about it. foundations in Texas are a big, big deal. And uh, a lot of them are bad. And I don't know the percentage of them, but I know a lot of them are. And many have had foundation work done. And in older homes, you have plumbing issues that run into the uh, foundation itself. That can be an issue. Um, I'm sure Tom has bought a few older homes in his day and investment properties that had plumbing issues. And it's, Never. Better, to know, it's better to know before you get it than, than afterwards. And um, yeah, it's all we have focused so much on the buyer side. What on the seller side is a do and don't during the sale of your home? Don't paint anything. Don't replace a bush. You've already got a contract on the place. You don't need to keep sprucing it up and, and putting spending your money on it. That's for sure, right? If you're me, go ahead and buy a new dishwasher because two days before you uh, close, the dishwasher is going to break. <laughs> Just to be prepared, huh? And if you have a, a stainless time. kitchen, you're probably going to get a white replacement. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe black if I upgrade. Well, on the seller side too, I think in this market, 
um, there's a lot of topics going on on the various um, um, internet uh, places like LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff like that, Instagram, about sellers have to give stuff up now. They have to give, you know, seller contribution or they have to fix this or they have to do that or they have to do this. Um, if you're a seller, it's your house. You don't have to do anything. It's your home. Now, if you want to sell it and you legitimately have issues and you knew about it, somebody says, I'd like it fixed. It's up to you. It's your decision. You're the boss. Um, so, yeah, fix it or don't fix it. Give them money or don't give them money. I do know that one misnomer is that in, in all the different price ranges, if a house is really nice and ready to move into and go, um, you know, there's still multiple offers out there and you don't want to risk getting the perfect house. Oh my gosh, this is my dream home. The right school district, you know, the right this, the right that over a whatever, you know, 500 bucks here or a thousand dollars there. So um, don't think because interest rates are high and things have changed a little bit that that automatically makes this a buyer's market because it's it doesn't necessarily make it a buyer's market on every home. So keep that in mind. Sellers are still, it's their house. They're only going to sell it to who they want to sell it to. And are people still writing letters and this is the perfect home for our family? We would love to be able to put and getting that sort of thing done for a transaction. I don't think that'll ever stop. I mean, it's, it's an emotional thing and you know, you, your clients are going to do what they want to do. And you, you know, your job is to work what's best for them. And if, you know, the letters, poignant and nice and you know it matters and so that that has happened in every market i've ever been in and that includes the meltdown of 2008 people do write letters they're going to continue to write letters and um, it just depends on the seller sometimes it hits them you know they'll take a slightly lower offer for a great letter if they feel like they're doing good um, others are like screw the letter just give me the money what are some of the programs that are also like on the buy down those sellers are doing? Is that still just putting the contract as though uh, it's just seller concessions, but they're using it basically in the name of it, right? You're just using it towards maybe to help buy your rate down if you get the right amount or yeah, you do, it's still just a seller concessions, right? There's it's just a seller concession. They're giving up some money to, or a builder concession to help buy the rate down because it's not beneficial for the buyer to buy the rate down to pay for it. Cause it's, it's, it's exactly what they would spend of their own money to, to go one way or the other during that period. Now, if it's a benefit, if the seller or our builder is contributing to that, but um, I think some of the major programs that are looking right now, one uh, is this new FHA. Tom, are you aware of the uh, new program that's pushing manufactured housing across the country and they're they're investing 1.8 billion into wow. manufactured home development and sites they're doing uh, an emphasis fha's one of their big emphasis right now is to promote uh, uh, rural housing which includes the manufactured housing aspect of, of what is being seen out there Keep in mind, of course, that one of the things in order to do that type of financing on manufactured housing, it has to be affixed permanently to the ground. 
And that seems to be kind of sometimes the big catch-all. Not that manufactured home uh, builders aren't familiar with this rule, but you can't get long-term financing. You can't get FHA, VA, conventional financing unless it's attached to the ground according to the manufactured home, according to HUD standards. That's always been the standard for... Which means what? Well, which means that the engineering, according to the territory, the part of the United States is located in, the foundation has to go down so deep and has to be so high above the ground. Louisiana, there's a requirement that the manufactured home be built at least 36 inches above the ground. In Texas, of course, it's only like 12 inches. But with the different setups, as far as those go, the local engineering firm that will attest and give the certificate that makes it eligible to be long-term financed, that certificate that's granted and sent to TDHCA for review, everybody knows the engineering standards required in the different sections of, t uh, of the United States. He sure does give a teacher answer, doesn't he? A very instructional teacher answer. What's the I didn't hear anything about the manufactured houses on stilts. <laughs> <laughs> How many feet are required for that? Uh, again, I don't know the different regional standards. I can tell you, Texas. Hey, help our clients, help our listeners understand what's the difference in chattel and and what you're talking about. Because a manufactured home, really yeah, if, you, if you buy if you buy a manufactured home off the lot and take it out to, you know, my piece of land out at Possum Kingdom Lake, and you know why I bought it at Possum Kingdom Lake because I love saying possum kingdom. Can you imagine all the little possums walking around with their little crowns on? Possum kingdoms. Oh, I think dressed in velvet, I, velvet. Do the Batman voice again, just once. <laughs> what do you mean? You in. Say possum kingdom. Come here, oh. Joker. Come to my house at possum kingdom. Oh, yeah. Love that. But anyway, you take that manufactured house and you plop it down on top of that piece of land. It's considered chattel. It's still personal property. Your financing on that property will be very expensive. You'll pay 12, 13 percent for your menu home. You'll probably pay 10, 12 percent for the land it's on. So that's really, really super expensive financing. By doing the additional work with getting it attached to the ground and putting uh, skirting around it and grading it so water runs off instead of collecting underneath the manual home and having the water taken to the property and, of course, sewer and our set. And take the wheels off. You, and take the tongue and the wheels off. You send all that data down to uh, TDHCA in Austin, and they'll issue this certificate and actually a little metal plate that you attach to the home that permanently identifies it as real property. So you convert it from personal property to real property by attaching it to the land and doing all those things I just talked about. Yeah. And barn dominiums are growing so much here in Texas. I think there's some unbelievable mobile homes. I believe there's some unbelievable barn dominiums. Millions of dollars can be invested into that. But uh, these are all new options for people to buy, like you say, in the rural areas. And our own country is promoting that. Uh, one of the investments opportunities is buying a, uh, a trailer park for 
have the connections, have the hook downs, the, the, the foundation. So all you do is bring in your brand new manufactured home, hook it up and establish it and boom. Um, that, that sort of thing is being promoted as an investment opportunity for so many. Uh, uh Oh, that is a good investment opportunity. It, those, it's those an excellent investment opportunity that we've all heard about in the past. And it is very good to point out that it's an excellent investment opportunity. <laughs> I tell you what, I hate this stuff. I hate technology. Apparently, it doesn't want to freeze very much either. That is to protect your client's information, Blair. So, see, you can't. I, I got <laughs> to deal with it. Yeah. Well, what other do's and don'ts do we have to roll this up? Well, do buy a home if you can. Ask questions. I think that's a great one, Jeff. Ask questions. And, yes, if you can buy a home, do it. It's a great investment. I, I want to keep in mind i don't have the numbers in front of me i'll get them for next time but the wealth and net worth of people changes drastically when you own a home uh and that's here in the across in the us of a so uh, i'll find the chart it's it's amazing the difference of your net value for everyone your net worth no is matter what you your net worth is made up of 75 percent of your personal real estate investment and so if you own outright own it, or you're at least 50% in, in equity, that establishes if you don't own real estate, your net worth is not made up of anything but investment stocks. Uh, it's a great, again, like you're saying, it's a great investment for them long term. Totally awesome. agree. Well, I think find us at welcomehomeradio.net. Ask your questions there. I hope this has been informative for you. Happy October 11th. And I'm Blair Thomas. I'm Tom somebody. I'm Alan Pace. I'm Jeff Duffy. God bless. Have a great day. Be good. Welcome Home Radio Production provided by Lunatic Digital. Check the listing of this podcast for the links to our sponsors. And don't forget to like, share, and follow us on social media. Visit welcomehomeradio.net for more information. This was a Lunatic Digital production. Visit lunaticdigital.com for all your digital needs.